we are in the middle of this journey in this, I think, a very important conversation. And we've entitled this journey Alive in Us. And what we are doing, what we are studying, what we are conversing on, what we are learning more about is that third person of the Trinity, the power, the presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit. See, God sent his spirit to us. That is, that is what he gave us as a gift to get us through this life, to walk, because Jesus is no longer here with us. So he gave us something that was just as good and sometimes maybe even slightly better because we have the spirit that dwells within us. If, if we have said yes to God, and if we have allowed Jesus and declared Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our life, the gift that we gave the moment that happened was that God allowed his, sent his spirit to dwell in us. That's why we've called this journey alive in us, because the spirit is alive in us. He is. And you know what? It could be just a smoldering ember, depending on how much we are trying to hinder and smother the Spirit's work in life, or it could be a blazing fire. But here's the thing. If you claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, he is alive within you. And really what we want is not just to have a study, not just to have a conversation of the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, what we want to do and what my desire and my goal is, is not just for us to learn things intellectually, to study and to converse, but it is more importantly for us to have an experience of the Holy Spirit, to actually encounter the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because when was the last time that you experienced or encountered the Spirit in your life? And you have to think hard, then that kind of tells you where you're at right now. And maybe, and what we talk about, if that's you, may resonate a lot for you today. Because there's a reason why you might not be able to think of the last time you really truly experienced the Spirit. In other words, we don't want just to know about him. That's not my goal for us. I don't want us just to know more about him, but I want us to know him on a personal level. I want us to experience a relationship. I want us to nurture and nourish a relationship, a personal relationship with the Spirit. How do we get to know who the Spirit is? Well, we are blessed because we have the written word of God, which, as we know, has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, in which what he is doing is he is revealing to us who he is. So as we look at these metaphors, as we look at these pictures This is how the Holy Spirit is describing himself to us to allow us to have an understanding and to grasp an understanding of who he is, what he's all about, his intent and his purposes in our life, in this church and in our world. So what have we been doing? Well, we've been looking at all these different metaphors that the Spirit has granted to us. And today's message has been entitled, His Wind 
There's the metaphor we're going to be looking at, metaphor of wind. His wind beneath my wings. And no, I can assure you right now that definitely you will not be hearing a solo from me at all. I want you to stay tuned in. So I'm definitely going to save your ears from that. I'm not going to sing that solo, that song that was made popular by Bette Midler. But here's what I do want you to hear. That all of the power of heaven, the wind of heaven, is available to you to be the power and the wind at your back. That is what I want you to hear today. There's two women. You may recognize their names. You may not. One, one name is Katie Spots, and another is Laura Decker. Now, these two ladies had a few things in common. One of them is that they are both endurance athletes, amazing endurance athletes. And something else they have in common is they both have a boat. But you should also know that both of these ladies actually made headlines, not just in the countries, but globally, they made headlines for solo trips that they both made. Katie, at the age of 22, and Laura, at the age of 16, made headlines. For Katie, it was for crossing the Atlantic. And for Laura, it was for going all the way around the world. But they had one massive difference between the two of them. One of them rode a boat. The other sailed. Katie age 22, she rode and rode and rode her boat all the way from Senegal, uh, Africa, all the way to a country in South America. And it took her 70 days to make that trek. Now, she had a lot to worry about. She had to avoid hurricanes. She had to avoid large freighter ships that really couldn't see her. And she had to maneuver through those And bad weather, huge waves, eight to ten hours a day, she would be rowing and rowing and rowing. And as you can imagine, it probably left some very painful calluses on her hands, right? Laura Decker, on the other hand, um, at age 16, harnessed the power of the wind with a two-mast, 40-foot sailboat. She sailed and became, at the age of 16, the youngest person ever to circumnavigate the globe. She also had some challenges as well. Same things that Laura, I mean, that uh, Katie would have experienced, hurricanes, weather, storms, waves, freighter ships. But she also had a different challenge before she even launched her boat. In fact... She almost didn't start her journey. And her home country of the Netherlands actually tried to shut down her voyage before it began. And one year and five months later, she made it. She sailed around the globe. In other, in other news, I remember coming back from our honeymoon in the Dominican Re- Republic and with a banged-up shoulder... I remember, had to get therapy on it, had to get a couple shots in my shoulder by kayaking maybe roughly an hour a day in a lot less calm weather 
and water than these ladies endured. So I kind of understand some of the lasting effects that they may have experienced from my experience of kayaking. In fact, if given the choice, I know which one to choose if given the option to row or sail. But I want to ask you a question here today. Which one would you choose? Which one would you choose? I mean, spiritually speaking here, I'm curious which one looks like your spiritual journey right now. Are you in a rowboat or are you in a sailboat? Because like Laura and Katie, we have a choice. We get to choose. We can either pick up an oar and row and row and power our our way through it with our own might, or we can raise the mast, hoist the sail, and harness the power of the wind. We do have a choice. And I wonder, as we look into this metaphor of wind, I wonder which one looks familiar to you today. Not one that you wish you were doing, but one that looks like your journey right now. If you're in a rowboat, and if you're rowing and you're rowing, you probably know you're rowing because you're probably feeling exhausted and you're probably becoming tired and weary. It's not that you don't want a closer relationship with Jesus. You do. And it all seems like you're doing the right things. You know, you tune into church. You read your Bible. You read the daily bread. You know, you think you're doing all the right things. Or maybe you're not. And the more you try to work this out, this faith journey out, the more, you, the more things you try to do, it just seems like it's not working. You're rowing and you're rowing and you're tired. And if that's you, I think you're going to resonate with a man that we find in John chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. I'm going to look at a man named Nicodemus here today. So John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, I just want to stop there just for a brief moment. I quickly want to talk about Nicodemus to give you a background and, uh, and an understanding of who this guy was and, and, how we, and how we should be looking at him during this encounter with Jesus. Now, he was part of the religious elite at that time. In fact, he was one, he was one of the most elite religious groups of Jesus' days. Nicodemus was like the best of the best, cream of the crop. He was one of 6,000 Pharisees in that time. But he was even in a more elite group than that because he was also only one of 70 of the ruling Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. So he was a Pharisee, one of 6,000, but he was also in the Sanhedrin. And only 70 out of that 6,000 would be part of that, which tells us, which tells us how good he was, probably how smart he was, how wise he was. And he's, how, he's going to have this conversation and this encounter with Jesus. Verse two, this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
He's gone to Jesus to speak with him. He calls him rabbi, teacher. He's like, listen, we're both rabbis. We're both teachers here, trying to get some common ground. But there's something just burning on his heart here, right? And he wants to meet with Jesus. And he comes at night. We're not fully 100% sure why, but we do think the reason is because of the position he had. Not only was he a Pharisee, but he was part of the Sanhedrin, and he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. He didn't want to be associated with Jesus or having people seen that he was having a dialogue. And before Nicodemus could even get a question out, the questions that he might have been thinking, and knowing his background, he's probably thinking, you know, I'm doing all the right things. And maybe he was just saying, okay, Jesus, what's, what is something else I could be doing? And Jesus is already answering him. Verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when you see that familiar phrase we see in the Gospels, truly, truly, what Jesus is really saying when he starts off a dialogue like this, he's like this. He's like, Nicodemus, I really need you to zero in on, with me here on this. I really need you to focus on what I'm about to tell you because it is of the greatest, utmost importance. It's so important. This is actually life or death. And what we need to understand is that this is one of Jesus' all-time favorite topics that he's about to talk about, the kingdom of God. This spiritual realm in which God reigns, and he says you cannot enter this realm unless you are born again. And I want to take a moment just to look at that phrase, born again. It's two words in our English translation, but there's a lot of meaning behind this. And really, it's only one word in the Greek. And the Greek word is, is uh, anathen, anathen. And that word can mean, if you have the RSV, the Revised Standard Version, it says completely and radically as in born anew. In the NIV, it gives us this idea of again, as in for the second time, as in born again. In the Jerusalem Bible, it gives us this idea of from above, as, as is from heaven or from God, as in born above. So we have all this meaning from this phrase, born again, born anew, born again, born from above. But regardless of how you translate this phrase, we know this is not where Nicodemus thought this conversation was, was going to go to. Nicodemus knows how to do the right things. He's a Pharisee. He's in the Sanhedrin. So that really tells us he knows the right things to do. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't be in any of these positions. So maybe he thought as he approached Jesus, Jesus was just going to tell him one more thing that he should do. That would have been expected. From Nicodemus' perspective, that's what he was expecting. Okay, I'm doing all these things. Obviously, I may not be doing, I must be missing something. So Jesus, what's, what's something else I can be doing? But this idea of being born again, he can't even think of a response for that. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's almost like he's representing all of us, isn't he, with that response. 
well-meaning, God-fearing, Bible-toting, prayer-reciting, song-singing, we're doing all the right stuff, doing all the right things, going to church every week, being part of a Bible study, being part of a prayer meeting, reading my Bible, praying a prayer every day, reading the daily bread. We're doing all the right things. And yet, and yet, there seems to be something missing. And maybe you can resonate with that. You're thinking, man, I'm doing all the right stuff, but it feels like I'm still missing something. And you could resonate and and relate to Nicodemus because I'm sure he was thinking the same thing. Nicodemus is asking this question, can he? Can he? How can these things come about? But I want you to notice his obsession with that word can. Because Nicodemus speaks four times. And in those four times, in verse 2, it says, no one can. In verse 4, he says, how can? In, and in verse 4 again, he says, can he? In verse 9, it says, how can these things be? Born again. Born anew. Born from above. How? How can these things be? And Jesus answers. And he does this as a hinge point of divine history. Jesus is about to answer, and as he does, he's going to change the game forever. Listen what he says in verse 5. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So here we have this idea that humans produce humans. Makes sense, right? Makes sense to us, obviously. But the Holy Spirit, he's saying, is the one that gives new life from heaven. Now, what I believe what Jesus is doing here is he's contrasting and comparing two different types of birth. One is the natural birth, and then there's the spiritual birth in which you, be, which you became a brand new creation. Now, I'm not sure who was there outside of your mother or oversaw your natural birth, but I can tell you with confidence who oversaw your spiritual birth. Being born of the Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who gave you new birth. And this is the role of the Holy Spirit, to give you this type of new birth. Jesus is saying this not just, uh, is saying this is not just a birth to enter the kingdom, but this is a birth to thrive in it. You know, that's what he's trying to get across. This being born again isn't just to get you into the kingdom, but it's more importantly, it's to allow you to thrive in it. Listen to what he says in verse Eight, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So there we have it. There we have our metaphor for today, wind. Did you know in the Old Testament, the word for spirit is a Hebrew word named roik. It's roik, roik. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word of pneuma. 
Both of these words, we get this idea that the same root carries the exact same meaning of spirit and wind. And here, Jesus says the spirit, the pneuma, the rock, is like the wind. This helpful metaphor for us, that the spirit is the wind of heaven, it's helpful. But what does that tell us? What does this tell us that he is the wind? How is that helpful for us to be able to nurture more of a relationship with the Holy Spirit? What is this idea about the wind? Well, the first thing I want you to see and grasp about this idea of the wind is this. Wind, wind is marked by mystery. It really is, right? Wind is marked by mystery. We get that we can't control it. We understand we can't contain it. We can't conceive it. We can only feel the effects of it. Why is that? Because wind is marked by mystery, right? A Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper wrote extensively on the Holy Spirit. And in one of his books, he wrote about the Holy Spirit. The very first chapter of that book, he called it Careful Treatment Required. And I want you to listen to an excerpt from this chapter. This is what he says. Of him, nothing appears in visible form. He never steps out from the tangible void, hovering, undefined, incomprehensible. He remains a mystery. He is as the wind. We hear its sound, but cannot tell whence it cometh or where, whether it goeth. Eye cannot see him. Ear cannot hear him, much less the hand handle him. Great observations, great truth in that. And here in that last part about the hand handling him, have you ever tried to handle the wind? In your time, have you ever tried to handle the wind? How about we, we switch that slightly and I'll ask you this question. Have you ever tried to handle the spirit? Have you ever tried in your life to handle the Spirit. I bet you, you have. And the conversation usually goes something like this. Holy Spirit, here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I need you to do. Could you get it done this week? That will be greatly appreciated. Thank you. That's kind of the conversation that we're having with the Spirit, isn't it? Like, if you're honest, that's kind of the conversation. Lord, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I need you to make sure it works out, and I need it done within the week. Thank you very much. That's the conversations that we're usually having with the Spirit, isn't we are trying to handle the wind here, right? And guess what? It's impossible. It's impossible because the wind is marked by mystery. And guess what? So is the Holy Spirit. The thing is, we can schedule worship services. We can schedule prayer meetings. We can schedule Bible studies. But here's the thing, we cannot schedule a movement of the Holy Spirit. We can build the boat, and we can build it bigger, and we can build it better, but if not for the wind, guess what? It means nothing, and it's going nowhere without the wind. Jesus is saying this is not just about entering the kingdom here, Nicodemus. It's also about thriving in the kingdom of God. 
And that's what God is all about. It's all about not just entering something, but it's about thriving in it. He wants you to thrive. And the way we can thrive in his kingdom is by the wind of heaven, by using the power of the wind on our backs of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know what it is with the wind. It is with the Spirit. But he also, but it's also with you. He says, the last part of verse 8, it says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is what this means. That every bit of energy and power that is within the Holy Spirit is, get this, is also within you as well. All of the power, all of the energy, all of the resources, all of the attributes that is within the Holy Spirit is also within you. So it is with everyone who has been born of the Spirit. You have the same strength, you have the same power, and you have that same wind at your back. And if you find yourself today rowing and rowing and rowing, and you find yourself in the place of trying to just work it out with doing more right things, I've been trying to do the right thing. And the harder I work, it seems the less it works out. If that's you, I've got some good news for you. This boat, spiritually speaking, you don't have to row this boat. You only need to raise the mast, hoist the sails, and catch the power of the wind, which is the Holy Spirit. And the question remains is this, how do we do that? How do we raise the mass and hoist the sails? I want to leave you with uh, two encouragements. The first one is this. Let the Spirit give you a new birth. And I know I've been saying this recently, but I just, I, I, I have this feeling. I just need to constantly be reminding us. For some of us, this is what you need to hear. The Spirit wants to give you a new birth. If you've never said yes to Jesus, then your metaphor that we're talking about here is not a rowboat, actually. It's not. It's not even a boat at all. Actually, there's no boat in this. It's just you in the open sea treading water. Nicodemus, you see, he was good enough to get into the Sanhedrin. And that was, you had to be good, good to get in there but he wasn't good enough to enter the kingdom of God. Just based on his own works, just based on his knowledge, he cannot earn it, and neither can we. The thing with the wind is you can't control it, but you can receive it, right? And that's the same, and the same thing is true with the Spirit. Would you be willing to not control it but to receive it in your life. Maybe for you, you've already said yes to Jesus and praise God for that. And you receive this new birth and this new life, but Jesus is still not at the center of your life. Hence, what I want to encourage you with is this, let the spirit give you new life, a new life. So we ask this question, how do we raise the mass and hoist the sails so the spirit can be the wind at our back? So what does that look like? 
I think it looks like a person who trusts, a person who surrenders their life, and they say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I've done what I could with it, and oh boy, have I messed it up. How do we follow Jesus moment by moment? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because through that power of the Spirit, we hear him. We are listening to him. We believe him. And through his power, we obey him. See, the Holy Spirit will give you new life. I want you to hear this from John 14. And it says this, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him, nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There you have the promise. All you have to do is avail yourself to all of the power that is available to you through the Spirit. So can I encourage you today, if you are proudly holding that oar or that paddle in your boat, can I encourage you? Just to lay it down. Just lay it down. Drop it. Because here's the thing. The thing with rowing, and I've, I've canoed a lot of my life. I've kayaked. I, I've done all that. So I understand the logic behind paddling and rowing. The thing is, if you're in a boat and you're paddling and you're rowing, and, and you start rowing and you start paddling, you know what, it's kind of hard to stop because here's the reason why. If you do stop, you know what happens? You start drifting. That's what happens in a kayak. That's what happens in a canoe. If you stop paddling, you will actually start drifting. And I want you to encourage to lay that paddle, to lay that oar down. And I'm telling you, it's okay to do it. And as you do that, I want you to raise the mass hoist the sails, and allow the Spirit to be the wind at your back. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for not only sending your Son, but sending us your Spirit. Not just to be an influence, but to dwell within us. And I pray as we've been looking at these different metaphors, we are understanding and grasping the importance of the Spirit in our life. He is in our life. I, I pray we, we understand the importance of allowing the Spirit freedom to move, freedom to work in our midst. Thank you for the Spirit being the wind. It reminds us that it's not by our work. That's not about us adding one more right thing to do so we can enter the kingdom or experience the power of the Spirit. Instead, it's not doing that. Instead, it's instead of trying to control the wind, it's receiving it. And I pray as we learn more about you through this conversation that we will receive the Spirit in our life. We will receive the power and the energy that is found within you that is also within us. Help us to lay down the oars, to place them down, and instead to raise the mass, hoist the sails, and to receive the power of the wind as it is your spirit. So we receive you 
Spirit into our life here today to be the wind that catches our sails so we can thrive in this life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.